0: Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. We um, get to continue the series that Chris started two weeks ago, so this is um, week three in the book of Philippians, so um, when we get there in a minute, we're going to be in Philippians chapter two. I want to take um, this opportunity, though, to say um, several of you, many of you, it feels like, were... Uh, helpful and supportive to me in um, foster care. I had a little boy with me for about six months, and he um, was a part of this group for sure, was in the nursery most weeks, and um, y'all brought diapers and wipes and casseroles um, to me, and um, many of you have checked in on me since he transitioned, that's the CPS word, he transitioned to another home. Um, he's living with some extended family um, back in his hometown. Um, and so thank you. I I get to have the microphone today, and so thanks. Um, we, together, it takes a village indeed, and you're a good village. We, together, cared for a vulnerable kiddo um, in our community uh, for a good Season of his life, and so thanks for being for me and for him, Um, and I'm back on the vacancy list with CPS, so the phone could literally ring any day, and so let's continue to do that together, so thanks. Um, Philippians, the letter from Paul um, to a church that he planted, Uh, many scholars refer to Philippians as Paul's most pastoral letter. Paul is, if you've read some of his other letters, he's um, harsh. Is that a fair word? Yeah. Uh, Paul's a little persnickety in some places, a little bit hard to read. He confronts sin head on in a lot of ways um, and in a lot of his letters. In Philippians, he's very fatherly and caring um, and we're going to talk about um, some connections where we can know some of the people that he's writing to. We know a lot about some of the people that he was writing to. Um, but first, let's read the passage that we're going to be in today. Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be in the first 11 verses of chapter 2 of Philippians. Y'all read along with me. So, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy. We all pray with me. Lord, um, thank you that your word um, is living and active, um, that it confronts us right where we are. Lord, this is an ancient text. It was written um, in a different language on another continent um, to a different group of people. And yet uh, you are able to use it in our lives. So would you give us um, open hearts and minds to receive uh, what you have for us here this morning? God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. A primary means by which we are conformed to the image of Christ is in how we think of others. Romans chapter 8 says, for all of us who are in Christ, our destiny, we are destined to be more and more like Jesus. We will one day be conformed to his image. And our life between now and then is a process by which, um, sometimes called sanctification, a process by which we look more and more like Jesus. A primary means by which that happens is in God refining the way that we think, Think of other people. There are 11 verses in what we just read, and nine times the word mind or consider or uh, the concept of humility, something that appeals to the way we think, the way we use our minds, um, is referred to. Nine times in just 11 verses. Specifically the way we think of other people. One of the things that God has used... um, uh, quite a lot over the last few years of my walk with him is in coming to see how scripture is related to itself. The, I, yeah, I get tripped up cause I know I sound like such a dork, but like the way so nerdy, but the way that God has woven his word together, um, is just beautiful. And I sit in my little chair in my living room sometimes in awe of the the thread that goes all the way through. This is one of those things. What has helped me with the epistles, all the letters or most of the letters in the new Testament is to have a couple of years ago, started studying the book of acts in acts chapter 16. We have the story of Paul traveling to Philippi for the first time. Philippi is the city. The Philippians were the people, um, So this letter, as Chris has said in the last couple of weeks, Paul is under house arrest. He's living in Rome, under house arrest, waiting for a trial. And he sits down and writes a letter to the people in the church at Philippi that he planted. He planted the church. He um, was traveling with some friends. They were doing ministry. He keeps trying to go to a particular area. and, And Paul actually attributes it to the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit kept stopping them from going to the place that they thought they wanted to go to do ministry. And instead, Paul has a dream of a man from Macedonia. So Macedonia is the area. Philippi is one of the towns in the area. Paul dreams a man from Macedonia is saying to him, please come and help us. So the next morning, Paul gets up, tells his mission trip buddies, hey, we've been trying to go to one place, we keep being frustrated, can't quite get there, but now I know where we're supposed to go, we're going to Macedonia. So Acts chapter 16, they show up in Macedonia, in the town of Philippi. And on their first uh, Sabbath day um, that they are in Philippi, the, the norm for them in their ministry so far had been to go to the synagogue, to um, first introduce themselves to the Jewish community in whatever town they were going to to minister in. This time, when they're in Philippi instead, instead of going to the synagogue, they go just outside of town to a riverbank where they find a group of women, predominantly, worshiping God. And that group of women are led by a woman named Lydia, Lydia is, we're pretty sure, single. There's no husband ever mentioned, um, but she's leading a household, so she was probably a widow. Um, she was responsible for people. Uh, she's an entrepreneur. She's a successful businesswoman. She's a dealer in purple cloth, um, purple being only afforded by very wealthy people. So she's appealing to, I mean, she's so successful in her business that she can narrow the scope of her business to just purple cloth. Um, And Lydia is there with other people worshiping the God of Israel. She is a God seeker. But we know that she hasn't completely converted to Judaism or else she would have been in the synagogue with the rest of the Jewish people worshiping that day. Instead, she is out at the riverbank leading other people in their worship um, of God. And that's where Paul and his companions Silas and maybe Mark, because it's written in first person in Acts. Um, find her and some other people were told that after they share the gospel with her um, Lydia and her entire household all come to faith in Jesus and are baptized on that day Lydia because she's a woman of means becomes a benefactor of both Paul and his ministry and the church at Philippi then uh, Paul and his companions come in contact with a slave girl who is being um, oppressed by a demon. That demon is allowing that slave girl to be able to tell um, people their fortunes, to to see the future. And her owners are charging people a lot of money um, to hear what's going to happen. It was the Psychic Friends Network, but way before, right? Her, her owners are making a lot of money on her, um, but Paul demands that the demon leave her alone. And as a result, they lose their income. People will be real tolerant of like a new religion thing, whatever. But when you mess with their income, right, it gets personal. And so they literally drag Paul and Silas before the the government leaders of the town. They're flogged and they're thrown into jail. Then we come to the really famous story that you've probably heard of Paul and Silas at midnight sitting in prison singing. They're worshiping God. The other prisoners are listening to them. And then there's an earthquake and all of their chains fall off. And the jailer assumes that they would have all escaped after the earthquake and is about to end it all um, because he's failed in his job of keeping them there, he thinks. And Paul calls out and says, no, wait, we're we're all still here. Um, and that day the jailer and his whole household come to faith. In Jesus and are baptized. That's just, it's just, it's actually only part of Acts chapter 16, but that's what we know about the church in Philippi. We, we can, we're on solid ground to read this letter to the Philippians and picture some of those people. Here's the thing. Paul, right here at the beginning of chapter 2, he asks a lot of rhetorical questions, right? Um, Verse 1, if there is encouragement in Christ, if there is comfort from love, that's not, those aren't actually, it's not actually an if, right? It's a rhetorical question. He could have said, since there is encouragement in Christ and comfort and love, make my joy complete, By, And then he very eloquently, but essentially makes this appeal for unity. He makes an appeal for unity, but not uniformity. The the church at Philippi was diverse. Some of Paul's letters are written to pretty homogenous groups, right? He writes letters to groups of Jews who also believe in Jesus, who all lived in the same area. Like they, sometimes Paul writes letters to people who would have thought about things really similarly. This is not one of those groups. There's a a single woman who's an entrepreneur who doesn't have a man to run her household. There's maybe a slave girl in the fellowship. There's maybe a jailer who would be a Roman citizen, not prob- probably not from that area. Rome, in the way that they ruled um, other areas, was that they sent retired military people to other areas to have key positions like this. Um, so it's possible, it's possible That this um, jailer was not originally from Philippi, maybe not even Macedonian. He could have been from as far away as Rome. Every cultural boundary had been crossed by the gospel. There's not a gender similarity. There's not a stage of life similarity, right? A, A child and a widow and a jailer. Um, we've crossed socioeconomic boundaries. We have a slave and a woman and a man who worked for Rome. They're a diverse group. But he's not appealing. When he says, be of the same mind, he's not, uh, he's not asking them to actually think of things exactly the same way. Look at this. Um, English, like, sells us way short in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways, right? It's confusing. But, um... This letter was probably originally written in Greek. And the Greek word that is translated mind a couple of times in verse 2. Um, Make my joy complete by being of the same mind. And then at the end of the verse he says, and of one mind. Um, some versions there at the end say, instead of, of one mind, say intent on one purpose. This Greek word, it's the same Greek word used in both of those places. It's phroneo. I probably butchered it not being a Greek speaker. Um, But look at the definition of phroneo. To be harmonious, to cherish the same views, to use morality and not just intellect. When we say be of the same mind in English, that could sound like an appeal to think of things in exactly the same ways. That's not what this word means. I don't think that word means what you think it means. That's not it. It's saying... It's making an appeal to our common values. We value, because we are in Christ, we value the same things. And that's what he's asking us to make primary. I love that he uses the word, um, or I love that part of the definition of this word is harmonious. I have like zero musical gifting in any way, really. Um, in fact, literally in church before I've been asked to sing quieter. Um, it is a joyful noise as only unto the Lord, but I can hear the difference when something, when people are singing or playing in harmony and when they're missing it. When things are in harmony, it is pleasing to the ear, right? There there are people in our culture who have made really a lot of money because they can sing in harmony, right? It's We, we will... Fork over money to get to hear things that are in what we call perfect harmony. That's what Paul is making an appeal for. We don't all need to look the same. We don't all need to even think the same way about things. But our value system is the same in a really beautiful way. So that when we all come together and think the same way of others... When we, in humility, consider others more significant, it makes some beautiful music. And it conforms us to the image of Christ. So he's not asking us to be uniform in the way that we do that. But he is asking us to let go of things that are rightfully ours. I'm going to reread verses uh, 5 and 6. Have this mind, that's our phroneo word again, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, if you belong to Jesus, you are capable of thinking this way. Verse 6, who, so, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, Paul's like the king of the run-on sentence, so you got to pay attention to all the commas and all the phrases. So now he's switching to describing Jesus. These next words are describing Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In that English translation, it sounds like maybe what Jesus is aspiring to is to be equal with God. What we know from all the rest of scripture is that Jesus is God. He is equal to God. There's no question about it. Instead, this is a, a word picture of Jesus Holding on to being equal with God. It was not a thing to be grasped, but instead, he lets go of his rightful place. Right? It says that he emptied himself and that he obeyed to death, even death on a cross. Some of the things that we can rightfully we could rightfully claim as ours are the very things that in order to be conformed to the image of Christ we need to let go of. We can live tight fisted. We can. But but living open handedly, letting go of some things that are rightfully ours, is actually Christ like. Um, Hebrews twelve two says that it was for the joy that was set before him that Christ endured the cross, right? He, he opened his hand and endured. He became a man and endured the cross um, for the joy that was set before him. By the way, his relationship with, our, uh, with us is the joy that was set before him. And if you hadn't thought about that before, sit there for a while. That'll encourage you. I lived overseas for a while. In the grand scheme of things, I have, like, this much perspective because I, I lived in two different countries for a couple of years each, but they were kind of in the same region of the world, and the people in those two countries are similar to one another. Um, I, I don't have, like, a vast international experience. I did get to travel some when I – because, like, once you're on the other side of the planet, getting to other exciting places is a lot cheaper. So I did get to travel some – but here's here's what I came I think to see um, a representative republic with some democracy thrown in and capitalism um, the systems that we have here in the U S are pretty great ways to lead a country. This is we got our problems for sure, but this is kind of the best thing going as far as governing goes and economics. It's a great way to lead a country to have a bill of rights, um, right? We all had to memorize the preamble at some point in our um, education, right? We have some inalienable rights in this country. And yet it's a real bad way to grow disciples. We're, we're all sure as Americans of our, what we have a right to. I have a right to vote my vote counts just as much as everybody else's vote. Um, I have a right, if ever I'm confronted with a law enforcement officer in this country, to keep my mouth shut. Right? I don't. Ha- I don't have to say anything. Um, for people who are married in this country, have a right to not have to testify against one another. That we have a lot. We have a lot of rights, and we're sure of them, and we lean on them pretty heavily. And yet, I really think that what God is saying in this passage is that for those of us who belong to Christ, we don't really have to fight for our rights a lot. We, don't, we have really no need, as those who are in Christ, to elbow in and to let people know what we're entitled to. There's a reason that entitlement has a negative connotation. We, we just don't have to do that as God's people. Several years ago, um, I was in a situation where my professional life and my personal life had a great deal of overlap. I was um, working with friends, and I was friends with who I was working with, and it was, there was a lot of overlap. And as happens in ministry sometimes, in the book of Acts, in fact, uh, there arose in that ministry a sharp disagreement. Disagreement. Uh, So much so that people parted ways. Um, And I actually wasn't even one of the main players in the disagreement. It was between two other people. But because I worked there and it was a small organization, I was in the mix, so to speak. And it had a profound effect. That event had a profound effect on my personal life because there was a lot of overlap. And what was the most difficult thing for me is that a lot of assumptions were made about how I factored into that situation, where I stood on all of the things. Um, And it it was painful to me. Um, And over the course of several months, um, I uh, practiced alone, usually in the shower, quite a few times. Uh, what I was gonna say when I finally had the opportunity, because I had the right to defend myself. That's how I felt. You don't you don't get to just assume how it all went down. You weren't there. I was there. You weren't there, and I felt compelled to to tell the story from my perspective. I had a right to defend myself. Right in those situations. Not only did I not have any control, we don't have any control over what people think happened, but we don't have any control over what they tell other people happened. And because there was so much overlap in my life, there there was a lot of misinformation. And I wanted so badly to set the record straight. And consistently, the Lord kept saying, Nah. I kept not having the opportunity, like, it kept not being the right thing to say. It kept, I would think that there was going to be an opportunity coming where there was going to be a one-on-one conversation, and then something would happen, and it wouldn't be a one-on-one situation anymore. And I never really got to defend myself. I never really got to set the record straight. And I think... Now, in retrospect, I can see, not because of any deep godliness in me, but because the Lord intervened, there's been some reconciliation in some of those relationships, and I think it's only because I never said any of the things that I practiced saying in the shower. I never actually stood up. And that's, that's okay. Because as one who belongs to Jesus, who didn't think equality with God a thing to be held tightly to, but instead emptied himself and obeyed and humbled himself. I can follow in his footsteps and know, and know that he has my back because here's what, what happens. He emptied himself, I'm in verse 7, by taking the form of a servant, being found in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled, right? There's a lot of verb action in here for what Jesus did. He humbled himself, becomes obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Y'all, verse 9 is a mystery. Because it starts with the word, therefore. Because Jesus did what he did, look at what God does. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. And bestowed on him the name that is above every name. We, don't hear me wrong, we are not ever going to be given the name that is above every name. It's his alone. And in this passage, he's the one that's exalted. But as those who are following him and becoming more and more like him, we have the same promise. James chapter 4 verse 10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Right? There was a call to humility just earlier in Philippians chapter 2. In humility, consider others more significant than yourself. And in James, he says, when we humble ourselves before the Lord, when we can let go of some things that are maybe rightfully ours, he's going to exalt us. Maybe... Maybe in this lifetime, your name or your reputation will be vindicated. Maybe you will get what is rightfully yours. But even if it's only in glory, there is an exaltation of us as those who follow Christ and are being conformed to his image that is coming. Here's where we're going to end. Romans chapter 8. Um, Romans chapter 8, the Lord uses over and over and over in my life. It's so good. I highly recommend reading the whole thing. We're just going to look at two verses. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. In the same way that Jesus... Is the son of God. We have been grafted into that family. The, Spirit, the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirits. That we belong to him. We are his children. And heirs. Y'all here's a place that the English doesn't fall short for us. We know what it means to be an heir. It's still true. Also I've been re-watching Downton Abbey. And it was like way more back then. Right? You, a lot of looking for an heir. We know what it means. If my father passes away, I as the oldest child, also because he's put it that way in his will, I I am the heir. I have a legal right to everything that is his. Assuming a lot of other things, right? But we, we know what it means to be legally bound to a family have a legal right to everything that belongs to the Father. In the same way that Jesus belongs to the Father, we we have a we have a stand, we have a place with him. heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him. That's like a whole other sermon, holy cow. Spend some time thinking about suffering in the New Testament and what it means for those of us in Christ. We Like we are called to suffer with him. Because it's provided. That's a pretty big word. Provided we suffer with him. But here it is. In order that we may also be glorified with him. When Jesus is glorified, we are going to be lifted up as well. The vindication to your rights the the restoration of your rights the vindication of your name whatever it is it may not come in this lifetime but eventually we're going to be exalted in the same way that Jesus is we don't we don't get the don't hear any heresy right we don't get the name that is above every name every knee is not going to bow in reverence to you but when We get there, when we are exalted with Jesus, it will be to the glory of God the Father in the same way that it is when Jesus is lifted high. Whatever inner maybe it's an interpersonal situation like my story where you just you have you have the right to give them a piece of your mind. You do. You can do it. Um sometimes I think though it is the way we find this challenging to change the way we think of other people is in the way we think of whole groups of people, right? Is there, um, are there people with a particular lifestyle? Are there people in a particular race? Are there people who live in a particular region that you just, that we just tend to other them? The Imago Day. um, the image of God, every human, every single one, formed in his image. So we, we don't get to just other anybody. We don't get to push them to the margins. When we, in humility, consider others more significant than ourselves, consider not only our own needs, but the needs of others, right? Consider is in there a lot. When we change the way we think of others, it automatically changes the way we act toward them. Right? When, when we're thinking rightly of someone else created in the image of God, it changes the way that we talk to them. It changes the way we talk about them. It changes the way we act toward them. So you don't, even, you don't even have to consider yet. You don't have to think about how it's going to change your actions. We can start with our thought processes about others. Letting go of the things that might rightfully be ours, knowing that ultimately the Lord has our backs. He is for us. Let's pray. Father God, um, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that we are among the Imago Dei. It's not just others, uh, but when you say that we are each as humans created in your image, uh, that means me. We don't. I don't think we fully understand what it means to be an image bearer, and yet it is um, encouraging and comforting. God, thank you that um, even after we come to salvation, you don't you don't pull us out of here, you don't check off the box and move on to someone else, but instead you walk with us. Um, Scripture says, as a as a man walks with a friend, you walk beside us. Lord, in the security that that brings, would you help us to know where um, we can let go of things that might legitimately, rightfully be ours for the sake of your glory? Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.